What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. Today's episode is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Uh, in my hand right now, I've actually got a Black Rifle Espresso with Cream canned uh, coffee. It's a cold brew. I love these things. They are like the perfect size for uh, getting on the road, maybe slamming some extra caffeine before you go to the gym, uh, or maybe you just need some coffee that you don't really want to make, but you want to have the caffeine and a good flavor while you're out doing your thing, whether that's hiking, scouting, hunting, camping, whatever the case may be, running around town, shopping, or uh, maybe sitting bored in the Target parking lot because your wife uh, won't leave. Uh, these things are awesome. So uh, I actually have a fancy little coat. It's called it's a it's code Vanguard for 20% off Black Rifles website. And that is a good for one time, but that's good on anything in the store, including their subscription service. So if you're interested in joining the club, getting maybe some espresso coffee with cream, uh, maybe some, I think that they've got like 300 milligram uh, similar situation going on that I have not yet tried. Uh, or if you want to get some fancy, really good tasting uh, coffee to grind up yourself at home and be uh, super fancy about it, uh, feel free to use code Vanguard for 20% off Black Rifles website. But before we jump into an awesome episode with uh, Mr. Hunter from Fieldcraft Survival, a, a few updates. Number one, lots and lots of swag. I've been spending probably more time than I should uh, getting designs put together for uh, the shop. So I would love to see you go pick up some swag, tag me on the Instagram, see what you're up to, get the message of the show out there. And uh, if you guys have any design requests or uh, have any experience there, uh, I'm definitely kind of just winging it. So I hope you all like what I'm throwing out there. Um, but in that same vein, uh, I spent a lot of time on the Instagrams. So if you're uh, interested in seeing what life is like beyond the mic, no matter how much of a pun that may be, um, we're actually doing a fancy little giveaway. I got a free uh, premium Onyx membership that I'm giving away on Thursday. And all you need to do is follow me, which is linked in the episode description, um, and then tag buddies, right? One entry or one tag is one entry. And a one comment with one person is one entry, unlimited entries. And I'm going to do a random drawing. And I'm going to give away an Onyx membership because I love Onyx. I spend a lot of time on it. And uh, I'd like to bring that to you guys. But other than that, uh, please like, subscribe, review the show, share it with your buddies too. I would love to see the message, the stories provide, get out there. And uh, But yeah, I think that's it. So uh, let's have a great day and uh, let's roll it. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you joining for the first time, welcome. My name is Austin Jardine, and uh, I'm just some dude, or uh, like I was telling Hunter earlier, some jackass out in Idaho <laughs> that likes to sit and chat with people to get their stories. My hope is that when we sit down and start talking to people, uh, we can learn more about them, who they are, what it's taken to get to where they're at, kind of the path that they've taken. Um, really, hopefully, uh, maybe educating you on some new ways to think about life, tackle something, get involved in something new, maybe just get re-excited about life in general. So with that being out of the way, it's my super cheesy intro, but I try and make sure to keep everybody on the same page because I feel like uh, we can ramble, or at least I can. And uh, Hunter and I were chatting a little bit beforehand before we press record, and there's probably a lot of good content that we'll we'll revisit because we we're just shooting the shit but otherwise hunter man i appreciate you hopping on i know you're getting ready for a fun little cross-country tip trip but how are you we're recording it's monday night it was a long monday 
Monday night has been a long Monday. Let's see. It's uh, I think it's just past uh, ooh. um, it's about five thirty right now. So I've been up for eleven and a half hours now, and it's been nonstop packing and getting supplies ready, um, for a road trip to Cleveland, Ohio, from Tucson, Arizona. So we're looking at uh 29 hours or so in the truck (laughs) and uh, 12 was horrible yeah there's no way we're doing it in one day as much as i'd like to i think we're going to have enough time technically yeah and so (laughs) i'm gonna try i'm gonna try to do two days i'm gonna try to make it to tulsa tomorrow okay and uh we'll see how that goes that's 15 hours and then i'll have uh like 13 14 but that's google maps does not include stops for gas food bathroom stretching yeah. your legs or just not going insane so yeah so probably like 16 17 yeah give or take but we'll see um given some buffer i don't have to be in cleveland technically till saturday for ohio range day hosted by achilles tactical with yep. uh with rick so but i'm gonna try to get a range day in on friday as well because shooting is <laughs> so much fun reconnecting with some old friends and uh uh, that is, uh, that's some of the most fun when you can get on the range with some of your buddies. Yep. That's true. That's true. So to kick it off, you know, normally, and I know, you know, if you're, you and I were talking a little bit and you've listened to a few, so you're kind of familiar on how the whole shenanigans goes down. So let's just get your, your introduction. Who, who are you? And, uh, and then I'll just interrupt you from there. If that works, I'll drink Perfect. coffee. Good. I'll, uh, got my water here and, uh, we'll just you're get into you? it. My name's. Hunter, uh, yeah, I already drank that. It's good stuff, though. It's good for your gut biome, but this isn't a Joe Rogan podcast, so we'll skip that stuff. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, my name's uh, Hunter Constantine. I am a uh, professional competition shooter and instructor for Fieldcraft Survival. Um, I also have a background in marketing and commercial real estate, but I think most people are interested in the firearms aspect of it, so we'll uh, we'll focus on that and see kind of where it meanders. But um I got linked up with Fieldcraft probably about a year and a half ago, took my Glover's class and uh, me and my buddy Dylan really impressed him with our shooting skills. And uh, he wanted us to come, uh, wanted to sponsor us and start instructing for, uh, for the training team that uh, Raul Martinez now runs and solid dude, probably one of the best, uh, best leaderships that we could ask for. Uh, for the training team, there's 18 of us, and a lot of people don't know that. But there's yeah. 18. I've started to piece that together like the past yeah. week or so. Okay, it's it's unreal, and the amount of experience, backgrounds, perspective that's brought to the table is like unlike any other training team that I've seen. Because we got guys from Marsoc, we got Rangers, we got SWAT, we got law enforcement, we got infantry guys, we got um, undercover detectives, we got police officers that were. Uh, chasing people down in the alleys of Chicago with like an AR out and stuff like that. And they got, I mean, crazy stories. Um, One thing unique about me is I'm the only civilian that's not a veteran or law enforcement or have any law enforcement background on the training team. Nice. And so my credibility comes from the competition shooting world with uh, USPSA, IDPA. Then I dabble with some, some rifle matches, three gun and carbine and things like that. And I'd like to shoot that stuff more, but, uh, pistol is definitely my primary focus. Man, that is sweet. Okay, so how mm. long have you been shooting? Or I guess what what started you down the path? Of um, so I didn't shoot a gun till I was eighteen. Dude, I'm and, in a similar boat. Okay, yeah, yeah. And so my my uncle is an avid hunter, and 
um, shooter. And for my birthday, I was like, dude, I want to shoot a gun. I'm like, I don't, I don't care what it is. I just want to shoot a gun. And he ended up taking me to a uh, gunsight Academy in Prescott. Yeah. I've for the first time I ever shot a gun. And yeah. um, that's probably one of the best environments that I could have started with because I didn't start with any bad habits or anything. I had this badass instructor named Ed Stock. I was 18. He was in his sixties and he did more pushups than me. And so there's like, <laughs> there's two groups, like uh, my uncle, his friends, and then like all the wives, like my aunt and all the wives. And I was yeah. with the wives. And <laughs> like, so get the fuck over there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, for good reason too, because I had no idea what I was doing. I, I shot a, a Colt 1911, like factory 45 ammo, just like, that's not my favorite platform to shoot <laughs> or caliber. But uh, my first shot was dead center in the X on a silhouette. And I was like, pretty good, Ed, huh? And, <laughs> and he just looked at me, didn't even crack a smirk, smile, nothing, just says, do it again. And for the <laughs> next three days, I didn't hit that X once. <laughs> I was like, man, I got some work to do. And so uh, from there, uh, I started, I went to school, went to college, got a, a bachelor's and a master's degree. And I shot like maybe like 500 rounds a year, just like in, in Northwest Ohio. And I was just like shooting at stumps, and my buddy, uh, Dennis Shamo's house and like, uh, maybe some steel towards the end of it, you know, but like very unstructured shooting. And, uh, I was, uh, uh riding bicycles a lot as a cyclist and doing that pretty heavy, like three, 400 miles a week. And then I moved to Tucson and I was like, I'm either going to become a professional cyclist or a professional shooter with okay. no experience in competition shooting at all. And I signed up for a local match on practice score, which is like a hosting website for most matches. And I sucked so bad. <laughs> I mean, like I thought I was like the highest speed guy going out there and it was just terrible. Yeah. And so I was like, damn, I got a lot of work to do. And but I caught the bug and I was working in commercial real estate at the time. And my schedule was like, literally like work, uh, wake up, work, go to the gym, dry fire, go to bed. That, dude, that was my I life. I lived that life. That's so funny. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and just not, that was it, dude. Yep. And like, so you know how that grind goes every Saturday, Sunday was a match. Then I was starting to drive to Phoenix. It was about two hours away to, uh, to shoot other matches. So I was getting in like two to four matches a week. Oh my and uh i was making good money in commercial real estate but i was blowing it all on ammo yep. and match fees and travel and i didn't care just because i was having so much fun i was making huge gains um i joined uspsa october of 2018 so i'm approaching three years soon um and then i made for those of you who don't know about uspsa there's different uh classifications that started unclassified and it goes to D class, C class, B class, A class, master, then grandmaster. And grandmaster is like the top five percentile for that division. Yeah. Um, and I hit GM in about 14 months. And I think it would have been shit. a little bit sooner given if COVID happened differently because the match is shut down for a little while. Um, and then another note on that too, the same week I joined USPSA, I became a match director for my club because the match director <laughs> stepped down. And I just had it in my head that I'm going to become a professional shooter. I'm going to make this my thing. And like that same week I made the decision, they're like the local match director stepping down and USPSA is not going to happen in Tucson. And 
some of my some people in my circle were like, mm, maybe that's a sign you should go cycling. I was like, nope, that's a sign I need to step up, become match director. <laughs> and that that helped out a lot with um, some of the skills developed at a faster rate than usual because I was, I mean, I was living that life day in, day out because now I was directing matches for people who have national titles and world titles and things because Arizona is like a honey bowl for some of the best competition shooters in this country. And so yeah. I got a guy who's got eight national titles coming to my match. I'm like, I better make it good. Yeah. You know, and uh, I felt the pressure, but it, it helped a lot. And uh, um, from there, just escalated where started shooting state matches, sectional matches, area matches. I went to nationals um, November of 19. So 13 months after I joined USPSA, I was at my first nationals. Uh, and then I went last year again. I'll be going again this year. So three for three for three seasons at nationals. The last two last year I had ammo malfunctions the year before that I had gun malfunctions. So I'm hoping this third it's time never the shooter. It's never the shooter. Never the shooter. No matter what everybody says, it's never the shooter, but um, it is the shooter because I was reloading the ammo. So it was my fault for not, not putting all the checks and balances I need to on my ammo. And yep. the first year was just plain ignorance of, of not knowing any better with that platform, but, um, it's a very fun uh, and enjoyable hobby and um, career path, although it's not um, – it doesn't pay well just to shoot competition. <laughs> it pays a lot better to be an instructor, but um, it's, it's fun. And if you can just find people to help you out and companies to help you out to, to push you through, it, it opens up your horizons to, to bigger matches and – more travel and more matches and more rounds downrange and everything like that. But the number one thing is just the camaraderie and bullshitting with my friends. I met some of my best friends in Arizona now from shooting and, uh, and from the range with instructing too. And so um, first rule, <laughs> we joke. And just for the recording sake of this, the first rule is always safety. You want to be safe on the range, <laughs> but as far as in the USPSA, community the first rule is always have fun and then be safe yeah but for all listeners at home i'll fact check me on the safety is always number one but <laughs> going back to that it's always important to have fun like just if you're not having fun doing it don't do it you know it's not for everybody when i see like some of the guys there that are frustrated and stuff it's like hey dude maybe maybe take a right. break today or whatever yeah or like take the stress off it's not not that big of a deal which could also be an achilles heel at some major matches too where some people don't care enough when they're at on like the, the stage. Yeah. yeah to stage, perform. You know? So yeah, when you started all this, like, were you, did you know that you wanted to be a professional shooter or is like when you're shooting stumps and stuff, was it just like, Oh, Hey, I'm having fun and whatever. And fuck it. We'll see what happens. Definitely the latter. I'm just like, it's fun. And coming from like, uh, I mean, the commercial real estate definitely felt like corporate America, you know, I was in, business professional stuff day in day out and bullshit emails that you have to perfectly word and everything. And that's just not, not really who I am. And, um, I kind of like the degree of, uh, like badassery that came with shooting, you know, I was like, <laughs> Oh fuck. Yeah. I'm shooting guns. And, uh, like I'm going to ride my motorcycle to the range. I'm going to go shoot my pistol and like <laughs> be fast, whatever. Um, it just sounded cool to me and I was having a lot of fun and, uh, that's where I started making, making my friends here. And when I moved to Tucson and so it was just like, that was our thing every weekend. We were, we were just going out and shooting bullshit and having fun. 
telling jokes and then it was like hey let's let's go to new mexico for a match let's take a road trip together and i'll shoot and then like those those bonds become stronger and then we're like all right let's go to this next match and so now we're like planning trips together and like um i mean it's just overall just fun so just like is the wave like perfect storm of like i was interested in it uh i thought it was cool having a lot of fun made a lot of friends and then strengthen those friendships um and now uh now i got people all over at different ranges that i can hit up and, and help and the instructing uh definitely strengthened my views of shooting long term just because it's great helping out other people and i love like getting people to have that eureka moment when they're shooting yeah. and there's like oh man that's how i hold my gun <laughs> like oh that's how i track the sights and the pure enjoyment on their face is absolutely priceless and i don't know if i can if i can disseminate my information to those people in a way that gets them to understand better uh then I'm, I'm just set on keep doing this until until I can't voice my thoughts in a way that portrays other people. You know. Yeah. No, that's fair. So when you were, I guess, I have so many questions because I mean to get to where <laughs> I think the skill level that you're at, I think requires a lot of discipline, education, mm -hmm. practice. When you started going down this path, and kind of I guess maybe starting it, getting into shooting, you know, from that first class. That first course, did you take more after that, or was it all like just self-taught from there? Um, it was all self-taught or peer value. It was peer evaluation where okay. uh, there's nothing more encouraging than your friend telling you that you're doing something stupid on the range, or them making fun of you for doing something. Yeah, you know. Um, but it was is mainly self-taught. I I tried reading some books out there on it. Um, tried dabbling in like some YouTube videos that are out, but nothing really worked for me. Uh, I'm definitely more of a person that needs to be like hands-on to actually understand it. Um, or like, like instructing too. And I, I had this conversation with Raul. Um, he will have instructors be like a shadow instructor where there's a primary an assistant and then a shadow. So I can like see them teach. Then you get like one block of instruction then two blocks of instruction. Then I'll have you AI and you run a portion of the class before you're, in front of everybody but like you're getting those reps in uh so you, so you get practice but it's the same with shooting for me where i was like hey i don't know how to draw my gun so i'm gonna sit here with my holster and keep drawing till i figure it out and there's like there's definitely like some blatant things like you know if people are like if you're like whipping your gun around or like you're like bringing your gun into your hand and teacupping it or something there's like the right way to do it right so once you figure it out what that right way is, it's just drilling it in so you can get consistency because being in Arizona with all these high level shooters, you're shooting a local match with a guy who absolutely murders stages and crushes. Mm -hmm. And there's still guys that do that to me today. Like I still have a lot of room to grow in the sport and being at these local matches with world-class shooters you see them shoot and it's not like wow that was so fast but you're like i could do that that looks attainable yeah like they're not doing anything crazy they're just always on the ball they don't miss they don't miss a step they don't miss a reload i mean everybody does at some point but they're just consistent with their performance 
And that's what's most important. And that's what I tried to figure out. So when I'm dry firing, I'm not even going full speed. I'm going 25%, 50%. I hate putting numbers to it, but I'm just going slower than I would. And then I would go at my match speed or like 100% gas pedal because I want to make sure that grip is built perfect. I want to make sure my sight presentation is perfect. I want to make sure my reload is perfect when I'm practicing it. So that muscle memory um, just gets dialed in. So when I'm at a match, I don't need to think about my grip. I don't need to think about my draw. I don't need to think about my reload. It just happens when I need to do it. Okay. Um, And I think that was a huge takeaway. And that was probably four or five months in because before I like, needs to be perfect. You need to go fast, all this stuff. But if I just let my body go through the paces of doing it correctly, my body will do it for me when I need to be done during that performance. Sure. And I think a lot of people stress out on results rather than just going through it. So when I'm shooting a stage, it's not, Oh, I need to shoot all alphas. I need to have the fastest raw time. I need to win this stage. It's just like, okay, you have four targets at this spot. You'll take two and a half steps. Uh, like you'll be leaning to your left around that wall. You'll see a tuxedo target, an activator, and then a swinger. And then from like, you need to jam a reload after that. And I'm just thinking about each step that it takes to get through that, that course of fire rather than thinking about it as a whole, I'm just breaking it up into smaller chunks okay. and thinking about how I'm going to execute that or what my sight picture might look like or what speed I need to shoot at to, to have a good, good, uh, match performance. Okay. So for somebody that might be trying to get into USPSA, maybe even plateaued or is trying to get to that next step, what are a couple of things that you feel like you've learned that have helped you, I guess, get to whatever that next level might be? Um, so this is one that I've had a lot of friends in the shooting community disagree with me on, <laughs> but I think it helps. And just take a break. Yeah. Put your gun down for a week, put it down for two weeks. Don't touch it. Don't dry fire, clean it, you know, maybe or something. Don't touch it. Don't shoot a match. Don't practice. Don't dry fire. Because I think that that want and that desire to pick up your gun, because it builds up, especially if you like shooting. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah. And sometimes I'll do this before major matches too, where I just, I won't touch the gun and I get excited knowing that I get to go use that gun and that I get to, shoot it and touch it, dry fire, reload it, whatever, do all of the mechanics on it. <laughs> um, and so it, cause it can get mundane, especially if you're just drilling practice and drilling dry fire in. I used to dry fire every day, sometimes twice a day. Um, and now I only do it when I want to. So if I don't want to dry fire, I'm not going to dry fire because I don't think I'm going to get the same training session as I would if I'm forcing myself to do it. Okay. And that goes with live, live fire too. Um, but when I was finding those plateaus, I, my, one of my biggest plateaus was in a class, uh, to GM. And I, I, I took a break, uh, due to some travel. And so I was traveling for like five weeks or so, six weeks, and I didn't really get to shoot. And then I came back and like that whole six weeks, all I was thinking about was shooting. I was like, man, I want to go shoot. I want to get classifiers. I want to make GM. I want to go shoot majors. I want to do this. I want to do that. And, uh, I left commercial real estate right at that time before I started traveling as well. And uh, there used to be um, hot deals on nine millimeter. It was like the federal rebate. And it was like the heyday, like late 2019 (laughs) uh, target sports USA. And nine was like 14 cents around. 
And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to buy like 15,000 rounds. Oh that was like the most <laughs> ammo I've ever bought, you know? And I was like, we're just going to send it. And I'm like, it was good because like I can ration it off and, um, you know, I, I'll be able to shoot like well into the next year. And yeah. like, I want to like give myself a buffer in between a month me working. It was gone. Well, yeah. And I already had, I think like 8,000 rounds in my, in my storage. So like, good good amount of ammo right there like twenty three thousand rounds or so give or take and i shot through all that in three months oh my gosh and so i was like how many barrels is that i'm curious is that do you do you burn through barrels barrels? yeah oh on my guns uh no but this is a good point because i haven't thought about this but my first gun i used at nationals uh was a factory mmp barrel and i blew that i've shot that barrel out with heavy bullets uh, or it couldn't shoot heavy bullets and i wonder if it was because of that because i i mean i just hammered through rounds on this uh smith and wesson mmp9 2.0 yeah and i was getting like four inch groups of 12 yards and i couldn't get anything better and then uh apex <laughs> stepped in apex tactical out of phoenix mm-hmm. arizona they make a excellent trigger kit for that gun they just released one for the p10 they got a match grade barrel as well um and like i don't even want to shoot a smith if it doesn't have that apex barrel in it because i can I'm not, I'm not an excellent bullseye shooter. My close friends here in Tucson absolutely know that. Um, but when I've had them shoot my guns, they can stack rounds literally in the same hole, 12, 15 yards, no problem. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I, it's weird on maintenance. There's like some things that uh, I thought I'd be burning through a lot more. Last year I shot like 45,000 rounds or so. And um like that factory barrel and one of the guns is all right. Apex barrel still shooting strong. Um, and I, I'm like I said, I'm not the most accurate shooter. So if I can put like a, uh, I don't know, just say like an inch and a half group, maybe a two inch group at like 12 yards, I'm happy. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing the same hole with a pistol. My eyes just aren't going to, I'm colorblind. I have terrible vision. So it's like, I chose the wrong sport. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I've I've only blown out a barrel just on that that one factory gun, and that was an original 2.0 from like uh, 2015, I think, is when they came out, or 2016 or something. But I got like one like three weeks after they came out, and then it sat on the bench for like four years. <laughs> and I won a slide cut at a Arizona IDPA state match, and I was like, I'll put an optic on there, and then I shot. I was like. Oh my God, this is the best gun in the world. This is the best trigger. <laughs> Nothing can touch a Smith. Back to it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but, um, go for it. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, so at that time, so you've, by this time, it's what, late 2019, you've taken a break or you take a break. You're about to hit Grandmaster. You left retail or uh, commercial real estate, not retail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, did you know that you wanted to become an instructor after that? Or were you kind of just like, hey, kind of flown with the wind? Taking it um, a step at a time. Flowing with the wind, but knowing that that's where the money's at. You know, where it's like the top 10 guys in the world get paid big bucks to shoot. Like like Nils, uh, Nils shooting for Canik, JJ shooting for Beretta, Eric shooting for um, CZ. Like they they can make a living shooting, but that's literally like top 10, 20 guys. Yeah. Um, even just getting your, your matches paid for and stuff like that is a luxury in the sport. It's... Um, it's not a not a sport of of the rich and famous, but 
Um, so I knew that instructing would be a way where I could shoot for a living, um, but also more importantly, help other people and help law enforcement officers and things like that. Um, just because there's, I see so many people get frustrated with shooting, get turned off from it and they have a different perspective. And I wholeheartedly believe that competition could change the whole firearms narrative, like outside of just the shooting community, but in the public image, because the number one focus is safety and firearms handling. Uh, and when I was in commercial real estate, I, I made my coworkers come shoot matches and some of them leaned one way or the other on the political spectrum, but after shooting a match, they all love guns and they all want to come shoot matches, <laughs> you know, awesome. and it's just, I mean, it's just fun. You know, you get to shoot steel, you get to hear it react and everything. And, um, you know, you get humbled on paper and stuff like that, but, uh, it's a tool to, to grow that awareness in the community. That's like, Hey, like, we're not like some crazy gun nut living in the woods or anything. Like as I was joking with you before this podcast, like just poured a glass of kombucha. I got my Birkenstocks <laughs> on. I'm a granola loving uh, gun shooter, you know? And, uh, but so, and then just helping people out though. So um, like I said, find that eureka moment with people and just getting people up to speed on their knowledge of firearms handling is awesome. I get to travel all over the country with field craft. I've been um, as far East as like Pennsylvania and all the way out to California um, and all over. We were in 42 or 43 States last year. Holy crap. Which is, I mean, that's heavy, heavy training schedule. So um, it's cool. And I, I have opportunities to train other places, but uh, like I told Raul this next like fall season as majors for competition shooting. I'm like, Hey, I'm like, these are the, like the three months I get to build my credibility. So like, I'm not gonna, <laughs> not gonna like, be teaching. Gonna have to, yeah. We're going to have to pass the torch to some of these other guys. They got, um, you know, it's, uh, mid to like late August right now. And, um, I think I have seven major matches on the schedule still for the rest oh my of the year. Gosh, Holy cow. Okay. So it's about like every, after ORD, um, it's almost every single weekend. And I had to pull out of one, uh, Cause I have to help my grandpa out, but, um, family first, you yep. know? And, uh, so it's, it's busy, but it's fun. And, um, it just takes you to all the corners. I, I shot up and shot a couple of matches up in Alaska. Uh, I got family. I just built a house there. So I love spending time up there and it's a magical place. It's like truly like the last frontier that we have in these United States where like you are out there. Yeah. And there is not people and you don't get cell phone reception. <laughs> um, so it's pretty fun. Yeah. So if somebody wants to become an instructor, right. Kind of haven't been doing it for a little while now, what advice do you have maybe, or as far as maybe becoming an instructor, thinking about it, anything in that um, nature? You, you need to have some sort of credibility in the space. Cause I, I haven't, told Mike and Raul when I first started shooting uh, or when we first got linked up that, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't think I was ready to instruct yet. I was like, I want to win some sectional matches. I want to get some podium finishes at area matches or, or nationals or whatever. Like I finished, I think 80, 85% or something in the eighties percent wise. And I had a third of my stages at nationals where I had ammunition malfunctions. 
Yeah. You know, I'm like, hey, if I can shoot in the 80%, which is like a class master range with all these malfunctions, like doing okay, like I'll still take that. But definitely you need some sort of credible background, whether that's in the competition space, um, law enforcement, military, just something because just being a, that person that's going out to the range, just I see a lot of guys that come through classes that want to be an instructor and they can't, they can't group their gun at like a four inch group at 15 yards, you know, or I'm watching their muzzle just flip up in the air and your gun doesn't actually have to be flat. It's just how fast you can get your gun, how fast you can get your sights acquired back on that target and take your next shot. Like, I don't care how flat your gun is as long as you can shoot fast and accurately, you know? Yeah. Cause I know, I know dude, there's some old guys that I've shot with that are like, they're old school old school, old school, like OG USPSA <laughs> guys and their guns are flipping all up and down and they will outshoot all the young guys that I've seen come through classes and stuff, Yeah, you know, and that's just how they shoot. You know, they don't, they don't care about the gun being flat. They're letting that thing bounce, but it's just bouncing that right spot where their, their, their sights are coming back down, but um, your skill has to be there and you have to be able to teach. So like, even if you're not, winning nationals or you're not the best shooter in the country or anything like that. Like you still have to be able to perform at a high level on demand where um, even when I'm demoing for classes, I'm still not trying to go hundred um, percent. I'm just like, I want people just to absorb that information and stuff like that. Yeah. But like the, in the instructing came later. It's not like I came out set of, I want to be an instructor and that just happened as I got more familiar in the space. So I'd say like get in the space, be a part of it, understand it, um, find that niche that you work on. So like mine is bringing the competition world to the tactical side since Fieldcraft is focused on gunfighting and tactical and um, everything like that, where it's in that, that tactical space. Um, but just like army rangers go through the army marksmanship unit to learn how to use their guns uh, during their, their schools and everything like that. Okay. Fieldcraft want to do the same thing by bringing competition shooters into the, into the fringe. So now I'm paired up with a guy who's was kicking indoors in Afghanistan with Marsoc or something like that. Right. Or I'm with that law enforcement officer who is currently on leave because he was just in an active shooting, <laughs> you know? And so like, they're bringing like, you know, they're talking about cover concealment when they're in a gunfight. And I'm like, here's how you reload your mag fast enough or as fast as you possibly can or get back on your sights faster. Yeah. Um, and it creates an awesome dynamic for these classes because they get, they get lessons from the sporting side and they get lessons from the tactical side from real life experience, uh, which is unique. And like, like leading back to like, how do you become an instructor is like get in that space, find a niche. Like I know a night vision instructor who doesn't, have law enforcement background or anything like that but that dude can tell you every single spec on like every single set of nods on the market he can tell you all about the different <laughs> lasers and like their beam length and stuff i don't understand i'm like what should i get okay full power okay cool and i'm like oh that's bright as shit sweet that's awesome <laughs> you know and i mean i like my gear too and like i you know i all that stuff but like i'm not i'm not nerding out on that like i'm nerding out on how to cut down my body mechanics. I have the least amount of movements and be the most efficient with my gun, but um, you got to have that niche of like what you're teaching. Um, like I I'm not going to sit here and talk to you about long range stuff. Cause I barely know how to use my <laughs> reticle with my dope and my drops and everything, you know, 
I can get by. I got Sterlock Pro and I got my bullet goldfish <laughs> and all that stuff in there. And I can just be like, oh, okay, 625 yards? Sweet. I'll use this. Sounds app, good. But, yeah. Yeah. And well, like 65 Creedmoor does the work for you. You know, got good <laughs> glass, true, got a does. good barrel and a good round. You're, you're set. But um, find that niche and hone in on it. Um, become a part of the space. And like the real sign was when I had people asking me if they could come shoot or like I could help them evaluate their shooting. And it, it, it came organically. Like yeah. I did not, when I first started shooting, I did not have an intentions of being an instructor. Um, it just came with the skill and kind of the path that I ended up falling, leading down. What else do you want to talk yeah. about? I, I feel like I'm fresh out of questions. I don't, I don't want to keep you up all night, but I feel like I can. Oh, dude, I could, I could keep rambling. We could yeah. make this Joe Rogan length if we wanted to. We, yeah, I feel like um, it. I feel like it. Um, all right, hold on. Let me think if there's anything else with training. Um, uh, Raul's got a company called Rogue Methods, and it's probably the coolest thing I've seen in a while. It's hand-to-hand combat and and sim guns. I've seen that. That looks fucking intense. Dude. And like, so his account it's just Rogue Methods at Rogue Methods or at Rogue Period Methods. He only follows people that have taken the class. Okay. And and I'm like, dude, I'm like, just give me a follow. It's like, whatever, dude. Like, we're homies. Like, I hope you out, you know, whatever. Is he like, like, gotta take no. the class. Yeah, gotta take the <laughs> class, period. And, but it's it's awesome. And the he's just started posting up videos of it and stuff. But I mean, you're you're in full mask, um, and you got the UTM guns, and they hurt, man. Yeah. Those I things are it. not fun to be shot by. Even like new airsoft. I got a couple scars on my arms from some of the CQB class that we have. I'm usually chosen for the op forces because I don't have CQB experience. So I'm unpredictable <laughs> in the buildings. <laughs> but even those airsoft the wild are, card. <laughs> yeah, they're like, what is he going to do? I don't know, but he can shoot fast, you know. And, uh, but it's uh, it's really cool training. And uh, like he's going to be in Phoenix in, a, in like two weeks, I think, a couple weeks. And or I don't know by the time this comes out. So. He'll be at a location at a disclosed time sometime in the future, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, it's super fun. And I'm like, I want to take the class as a student. I'm like, dude, don't even think I'm going to help you with range setup or anything. Like <laughs> gear me up and like, just check it out. Cause it's, it's sweet. And it's like, it's nothing too crazy where you're going to like um, get hurt or anything. It's just like grappling with UTM guns and there's like different scenarios and things like that. And that's, Super cool. I like seeing stuff like that because it's um, adapting uh, the training side to just new, I don't know, like just new horizons where I don't see a lot of that. There's a couple guys doing it, uh, like the ShivWorks guy. Uh, he puts on some cool stuff. Yeah. Um, I forget his name. And there's a couple other people. But like, I didn't really know about this stuff until recently when I started getting into the instructing space. And I was like, damn, this stuff's pretty fucking cool. I'm like, I want to do that stuff. So I checked that out. Um, he travels around and uh, he's got stuff posted on there. Uh, and then check out Fieldcraft Survival too. If you, if you guys have questions about courses or where they're going to be, um, I do a lot of the admin uh, behind the scenes work on that too. So I can answer a lot of questions for you guys. Um, and if you guys have a location that you'd like to see us in, shoot me a DM with the range that would accommodate. And we would, uh, we've done it many times where someone's like, hey, wish you'd come to, Boise, Idaho, and like you got a range, like boom, we get in contact with the range, get there, set up a class. And I think we're going to Boise for the third time this month now, third really? time this year after getting started. And then we're, we're getting, uh, um, I don't know, uh, I can message you, afterwards or okay. you can fill it in. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I just know it's close to Boise, like 
a little bit outside of Boise. Yeah. I'm not sure where. I don't know what the range is off the top oh, of my head, good. but um, I can look that up for you. Because um, that's where you're you're up by, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm about a half hour west of Boise. Oh, you might need to take a field craft class. I know. Well, it's funny because I was thinking, I, well, because I was actually at your headquarters uh, two months ago. Yeah. No, last that, month. I don't even that's remember. when you linked up with uh, with George, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I met George at the Total Archery Challenge and I went to, oh, cool. yeah, they had the the hunting master class or the big game master class that, mm-hmm. that was with Eastman's and Fieldcraft. And yeah, uh, Eastman's pretty rad too. Dude, pretty sweet. And uh, so I learned a lot there and kind of poked around your guys' uh, – I have your same shirt, actually. Uh, so I poked around the, the store. It's pretty fun. I could have spent pretty much all my savings there. So, Oh, yeah. That's good stuff. Hold on. I'm going to pull up the location real quick. Let's see. We're at Boise uh, Double Tap Lane with two yeah. Ps. Okay. So that's, that's where the class is going to be. I'm going to have to and, look because uh, I would totally – yeah, I just built uh, my fancy uh, polymer 80 that I've I've shot but haven't broken in yet. So I could uh, oh, yeah. definitely uh, definitely yeah. got to get the rounds on those poly 80s. I've got uh, I built like three of those so far, and I only have one that I'd probably trust my life on, and it's my my sidearm hunting. It's a, a large frame clock chambered in 10 mil. Okay, yeah, and, I did um, a 17 and nine, and okay. I. Yep. Yeah, I, it has to be like wet, like completely lubed up. Otherwise, it'll just get submerged in vegetable oil. Yeah, basically. Ready to go. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, otherwise it just it gets gummed up and doesn't like to doesn't like to go. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a 34, and it probably took me like five six hundred rounds. But um, I also have a joke in my friend group that I'm the bathroom gunsmith because I built a poly 80 while I was on the toilet. Did you I have really? my Dremel plugged into the wall, <laughs> and it is so sloppy and the holes are crooked and i do not recommend it <laughs> uh, but it's a running joke that my friends will let me work on their guns uh although i work on all my own guns and they run great but um that gun took about five six hundred rounds to break in just to get all the angles right and everything and yeah. the lapping down stuff like that but 10 mil is pretty sweet and it's uh all my guns have optics on them i don't like iron sights i'll shoot iron sights if i have to but i prefer dot if i have my choice um but I wanted I wanted a big caliber for sidearm hunting because like you never never know what you'll run into and um, I went on a bull moose hunt 2018 and we we're nice. up in the Yukon territory and like dude I, like I was like that's a whole story we could we can get into it I'll give you the short of that one <laughs> okay. but it was a six day six day hunt and it ended up being eleven days because uh, we got snowed in and we were stranded nice and so we took. Um, like a 1960s otter which is like a float plane okay and we um we went from arizona to seattle seattle to uh watson lake which is up in canada and then from watson lake we took i think it was from watson lake we took a float plane to this like remote lake in the north of the northern territory in canada okay and we were on this lake that was like 10 kilometers long um, and you basically take a boat up and down the lake, you go to a trailhead and then you walk the trails to find these, like, I mean, they're like record bull moose that like, I was just sure. like jaw dropping. Um, and my uncle got like a 68 or 69 inch moose up there. It's just like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm like 5'11". That thing's like two inches 
shorter than my height yeah. as far as brow, uh, brow to brow, you know, tie to tie. And, um, I ended up, uh, super nice first day we got there. Uh, you know, we took a float plane in, landed on this lake, got all of our stuff un- unpacked. Uh, I had a 300 Weatherby mag rifle, um, didn't have the 10 mil at the time, but I built it after this one just because I got spooked, yeah. uh, on this hunt. And first day is like 55 degrees it's october i'm like this is awesome like, like sun's hey, out take my jacket off or a t-shirt yeah legs yeah. flat <laughs> and we're cruising to the first trailhead and there's a moose right right like 20 yards from the trailhead i mean like right there and like the 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 bowls of the antlers are just like shining in the sun i was like i'm like what hunting gods have blessed me today and then like, i was like majestic as fuck yeah yeah and i'm like i'm looking at my guide and i'm like I'm like, I don't know how to gauge moose. This is the first yeah. time I've ever seen moose in the wild. And I'm like, is that a good moose? He's like, that's a really good moose. I was <laughs> like, I was like, should I take it? He's like, would you take it on your last day? I was like, yeah. He's like, when you take it on your first day. Yeah. And here, I'll, um, if you're, the listeners won't be able to see it, but I'll show you. But I got it hung up in this room here. But it's, um, it's a good sized <laughs> moose. You know, and so like, you can see my hand is, yeah. uh, it's it's that, big it's i think it was a dude, 50, that is awesome. 58 59 um and he was a fighter too he had a couple of brow ties broken off but i took that shot 180 yards from the boat from and, the boat uh, so yeah so we were like rocking on the waves and everything like that and i got i got a through and through on the lungs and i was like under his heart by about an inch dang so it's just clean yeah so clean dude and that 300 weatherby mag helps out a lot too there's a lot <laughs> a lot of energy behind that um that was my uncle's gun i he let me borrow because i didn't have any i like a um <laughs> the largest caliber i had was 7.62 by 54 yeah, there's no way I'm you're like there's taking, no way that's gonna work <laughs> i'm not taking a, a 60 dollar mosin i got on a moose hunt um but anyway so we uh and that was at 5:45. sun sun was setting at uh at 7:30, and we're on like a flat bottom aluminum boat. And he's like, Have you ever have you ever dressed a moose before? I'm like, dude, that was, I told you that was the first time I've seen a moose ever. He's like, yeah. Well, we gotta we gotta get this thing fully quartered out and dressed before the sun goes down because the wolves will come. And I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> and this dude's got a 4570 lever gun, yeah, as his as his side gun, no front sight. And I was like, where's your front sight? He's like, oh, it fell off a few months ago. But if we need it, you won't really need the front sight because it'll be close enough. I was like, great. Yeah, yeah you'll be dead and before so, it goes off. Yeah, he hands me a knife. We get this thing dressed in an hour and 15 minutes. We're hustling through it and we're loading it onto the boat. And I just keep watching this boat get closer and closer to the water level. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I'm like, over 200 pounds. Guy's probably 200 pounds. And we got, let's just say, like 800 pounds of moose in the boat, you know, or however much 600 pounds. And we're literally maybe an inch from the water, two inches from the water (laughs) and the sun just set. And we were cruising with headlamps on. And this is when I I knew about the quality of headlamps because I just had some bullshit Walmart headlamps. I'm like, (laughs) Oh, I'm going hunting. I need a little headlamp. And um, quality lights is something I will just spend money on. No problem now because uh we couldn't see shit it's pitch black the boat's like <laughs> and right you're on the water, water line. yeah yeah and so i mean we probably were going like two miles an hour and we had six seven kilometers to go back to the cabin and so took a while uh, super happy though got a moose healthy moose um 
great looking meat and everything and uh get back cabin everything is fine um and then we leave it for the next morning and we we start dressing it and cutting it up a little bit better start cleaning the skull off and everything and um snow starts coming down next day and so we're like oh shit like a pack for this stuff though i'm ready but a little bit of dusting just turned into blankets of snow coming down and like yeah. over the course of like four hours there's probably like five or six inches of snow on the ground <laughs> and i'm You're just like, like well, oh shit food <laughs> yeah and, and like in the cabin there he had like some canned food and stuff like that yeah. um mostly most of it was expired but like we didn't care um and we had booze and we had coffee i'm not a big drinker but like when you're sitting doing it's nothing like having all day. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, yeah, let's, let's drink some whiskey and hear some hunting stories, you know, or some yeah. fishing stories. Um, so like my uncle doesn't go out that day and they're like, all right, we'll wait for the snow to settle and everything like that. And wait for the storm cell to go through. We also to note, we only have one satellite phone for everybody there. Okay. And uh, it's solar, solar charged. Um, and everything else is completely off grid. The closest people are 150 miles away. And it was a uh, snowmobile team or something like that, that they were like training or whatever, but they contacted us being like, Hey, we're up here just to know. I'm like, dude, how, <laughs> my mind thinking like, how do we get through 150 miles of thick Yukon territory wilderness? Right. You know, but so anyways, um, snow doesn't stop. Just keeps going for the next like three days. And there's no <laughs> sunlight. There's no letting up or anything. And so we're just like burning time. We're playing dice, we're playing dominoes. I read like every book that this guy had in his cabin. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're just nothing to do. We're completely stranded. And then once like the, the day we were supposed to leave, I remember I'm like, hey, I need to use that phone. Just like call my boss. I was still working in commercial real estate at the time. I'm like, <laughs> like hey, uh, I'm, uh, I'm still up in the Yukon. We're snowed in. I don't know when I'm going to be back. I'll let you know when I'm back into service, but it's the only call I can make. Yeah. Hope everything's okay at the office. <laughs> Click. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, everything was, but so it keeps on snowing and um, the float planes, the, the otters, they only have, uh, they don't have the fancy flight technology that the new planes have. So a lot of it's just visual and where we were at, there's a lot of uh, just like, uh, meandering mountains and valleys and things like that evergreen trees and stuff like that and uh alaska and the yukon has like the highest amount of aircraft crashes per aircraft than any other area because sure. of this and there's like thick fog boom side of a mountain and they're getting the no-go to fly because of these storms because yeah. i can't see anything and sure. keeps snowing in so every morning we'd pack up our sleeping bags into our rucks or packs and just be ready just in case the plane came and if like if it was going to come it'd be like at like 2 or 3 p.m and so we have limited communication and we like i remember we ran out of coffee on like day six we ran out of butter on day seven <laughs> um and then we ran out of um, battery on the satellite phone on like day eight or nine and so we have no comms and we're just in the yukon and there's no showers or anything, you know, so we're just doing our thing in yeah. the wilderness. And I remember the, the guide who he built the cabins with his own hands, like 20 years prior. And he took the boat across the lake because there's a patch of sunlight to get the phone on the solar charger <laughs> so we could make a call. Yeah. 
you know, but I mean, he's taking this boat like 45 minutes to an hour just to go charge it for a little bit. Right. Um, but we, we all stayed in good spirits, you know, um, got a little beat up every day when that plane didn't come, we didn't hear that engine and it was day 11 and, uh, it was right around two, three o'clock. We haven't heard the last message we got was, um, no fly in acclimate weather, whatever weather report, you know, and I'll never forget the bush pilot named Rachel. She had nine fingers. She took off her right index finger, installing a dock on her property with a sledgehammer and knocked her finger <laughs> off. And I don't know if I should be saying this on the podcast, but we'll say it anyways, because no one's going to find this Rachel, but on the way out there, I was freezing cold in this plane, dude. Like it is so cold up in the air. And yeah. she just had the windows open. She's like, here, this will warm you up. She hands me a thermos. I'm like, what is it? She's like, rum. And I'm like, ha, and I take a sip and it was just straight rum. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is the bush pilot I want, you know? And just thick Canadian accent and uh just real characters like Carhartt overalls on and everything. And fucking 2 3 p.m. 11th day, we hear that engine, we see Rachel's plane flying above us. She lands. We load all the shit up that we can, like as fast as possible. Yeah. Said, oh, yeah. Boss said I couldn't fly. I told him to go fuck himself that you guys need to get out of here. So I can't pick you guys up. Uh, but we should probably hurry up because the next storm's coming in. And, you know, we're just we're getting everything into the plane. And so we got like one cooler with like the back straps, the loins. Uh, my, um, some other parts of the story that we didn't get into. My uncle got a, a small moose that was um, – his whole rack was charred black because there was a fire there years prior. Oh, and he cool. grew up in that charred area. Yeah. So there was like a three to four color grade difference between our two moose racks, That's which is super interesting to check out. Yeah. Um, and then he had uh, his moose didn't have a lot of usable meat because the whole right side of his body uh, was punctured from getting in fights with other bull moose. Oh, and so it was rotted. fully infected and pus and rot and everything. So we got like half a backstrap out of his um, some good shoulder and neck meat and stuff like that. But we had just like one cooler full of like the good cuts um, and then both of the, the racks and the, the skulls. And then the guide came with us and then other stuff from the cabin that had to leave. Cause we were the last people for that cabin for the season yeah. and that cabin for the season. So we're like, we're, I mean, Rachel's sitting there doing her best to calculate the weight for this little plane. <laughs> and uh, to take off, we had to like do this like spiral maneuver where we like corkscrewed up rather than going straight up due sure. to the mountains and surrounding. And I remember the feeling and our, and this is part of the reason why I remember Rachel, but we're cruising up in this corkscrew and we hit like a patch of turbulence or something. And that plane dropped a good 15 feet, <laughs> just boom. And like, we got weightless for a second. And then there's like, there's like this loud mechanical rumble of when it like picked the air back up. <laughs> And she's like, she just looked over it like my, I'm white, my uncle's white, even the guide's white, and he does yeah. this for a living. You're like, oh, don't worry, boys, we'll be all right. And like, <laughs> just keeps on flying. And uh, we cruise back and land, and everything was good to go. But I mean, for those five days, they're like, we were like, we knew we were going to get picked up, but we were contemplating whether it was going to be a day or three weeks out there. And that snow ended up keep on coming all the way through like mid-November. Holy and, shit, that's a long. <laughs> um, you know, Uncle laid down some cash to tip her afterwards and was like, "Thank you for coming to get us. Like, we yeah. have to get back to work and civilization and everything." And uh, uh, and her boss was furious, but you know, she was like, 
I can fly in that weather. It's no big deal. I'll come get you boys. It was awesome. But that's, that was like first big destination hunt I ever went on. And, uh, I mean, I got, there's so many stories, so many smaller stories within that story that, uh, just make it such an amazing trip and yeah. uh, such a crazy experience, you know. Are you a big uh, destination hunter? Not really. No, uh, not after that. <laughs> uh, like I would, but I, I usually have to choose between like instructing, shooting major matches, uh, or seeing family, or going on like a destination <laughs> hunt. And so I go to Texas a lot. Yep. Um, I, I wouldn't say a lot, maybe like once or twice a year. But we'll go hog hunting out there and then they have access deer. Yeah. Um, and that's on my buddy Cody's uh property. And they got some beautiful access deer and we help clean up some of the ugly looking ones because we're just I I I don't care to have a I have one access deer rack uh in my living room here. But I don't I don't care for the rack. I'm I want to get the meat. It's good eating for the year. Um and I'd rather do that. Uh, I guess or I can knock out two birds with one stone like going to Alaska and going fishing with family. So like get to see family and I get to fish and bring <laughs> home salmon. Um, but as of recently, I'd say hog hunting is probably my most, like the most fun out of all of it. Yeah. And, uh, I've not yet gone hog hunting. I would like to. Dude, it is unreal fun. <laughs> Especially if you like, uh, like where we're at in, uh, in Texas, it's, um, there's a pasture that probably opens up to, or like 650 yards, 700 yards. Yeah. And there's pigs on the other side of it. And you can, you can be at the porch looking out 700 yards at pigs across. And like, we brought our six fives out, um, but we, we couldn't really identify them as good as we wanted to. Sure. Um, I'm waiting for my buddy to come out with his uh, PVS 24 so he can get some long range and night vision <laughs> shooting. Uh, but that's, that's been like a, a recent, uh, a recent want from our little group that goes out there hog hunting is you, you got to get doing some wa- AR tens. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I got. I've got uh two AR tens and six, five Creedmoor. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, one's a V seven dude. It's got a, a Leopold on it, 18 inch barrel, no, maybe 20 inch barrel. Fuck. I don't know, but uh, uh, we'll just go with 18 with optic and everything. At least 10 pounds. No way. With, yeah. Super lightweight. Um, I'm bringing that one to Ohio range day and uh, just super light. It's great. There's a lot of kick to it because it's so light. Right. Um, and then I have one on the opposite side of the spectrum that weighs like 18 pounds, 17 pounds. Yeah. Um, with a huge, heavy, like 22 inch barrel. Like the barrel profile is like uncut. Like yeah. they just yeah. had a dowel rod, just put a hole through it. <laughs> called it a day. That's what uh, my, my dasher is. I, I didn't leave, I didn't close my office door all the way. So we've got the dog in here now. Uh, nice. My six dashers, uh, a fat bull barrels, the proof competition yep. contour. And yep. uh, so I think it weighs like 20, I think like 20 or 22 pounds, something like that. Oh, yeah. So it's yeah. Good that, stuff, but like, I bet there's no recoil. Oh dude. Right? When it goes bang, you like you, yeah, there's, you don't know. Yeah. So you don't even find. So your background in competition shooting is from the long range side of the house. Is that like PRS and things like that? Or what yeah. that looks like for you? So when I first started shooting, I didn't, I mean, I grew up kind of like around guns, but not shooting. Sure. And okay. uh, so when I, so my dad bought my mom for like mother's day, I think it was like totally out of the blue. He bought us all, like an intro to pistol class. And so that's when I started getting into it. And then I did some uh, USPSA for a little while. So I totally like, I did the dry fire when I was in college, I would like 
do like a calc problem and then I would snap in and then I do a calc yep. problem and then I would snap in and like, Bingo. yeah, dude, I was like, I was, I was so annoying because like it gets loud, you know, when you're working, when you're running mm-hmm. and stuff. And, uh, so after, uh, after doing that for a little while, I transferred to the, a different university and I started doing trap shooting Cool, because that's what the team did it at the school. So yeah. the trap shooting, which I'm not a big fan of like, but that's, there's money in it. And there was the school had been doing it. So that's what we were doing. And I ran that. Mm-hmm. And then when I graduated, that's when I started doing uh PRS and I got addicted to that. Yeah. And so I started doing Dude, PRS is uh is big boy spending compared to USPSA. Dude, I don't oh even gosh some of those rifles and optics and everything, dude. That just hurts hurts yeah. my wallet and it hurts it hurts me that your wallet hurt that much. Yeah, yeah. Well, my wife, so when I proposed to my wife and we got married, she was like, Your rifle costs more than my ring and <laughs> which is true. I, yeah, I think I think it is yeah. true, which she knows. But I sure I'm sure that I'll get flocked for that till the day I die. But uh, yeah, it it hurts to when you have to go buy something new. You just you just got to get her a gun of equal value then. Yeah, we've talked about. I don't know. <laughs> we've kind of talked about it. We, I, I haven't shot a match in a while. I mean, since mm-hmm. I started doing this, we started do. I took a break because like I was never phenomenal. Like I definitely like mm-hmm. there was a time that I was doing okay, but I never shot great. Sure. Right? I loved it. And, you know, I started taking more pictures and doing more content stuff rather than like competing. And so that got frustrating because it was like, well, I want to shoot well, but I also want to take good pictures. And so then I just got frustrated with all of it and yeah. was like, fuck it, I'm going to do something else for a little bit. So I took a break. So I yep. think I was actually, I was going to go take, I was going to go start reloading the other night, but I need to get some new dies because for whatever mm. reason, mine's not sizing sizing my neck appropriately so i don't know what the deal is but um but yeah so my background is kind of touching a bit of all of the sports or kind of shooting Mm -hmm. all of it but mostly kind of my uh my heart and soul was in the long range stuff so yeah i mean dude that's a that's an art in itself and like i'll get my lunch handed to me just on like these local shorter carbine matches i mean they're inside like 450 most people are using 223 guns yeah um but still it just you can tell the guys that are well-versed in it and the ones that are still new. And I, I enjoy it because I have so much to learn and I am that new guy. And yeah. I, I mean, like I'll suck, dude. I'll finish like bottom, bottom fourth of a match, yep. you know, but I don't know any better. And I, and I'm out there having a lot of fun and every single match I have takeaways that I've <laughs> learned from, you know, where yeah. even if it's just like positioning, um, Matt Kitzmiller, he's a phenomenal three gun shooter. Okay. He okay. showed me the reverse kneel and it changed my mind where it's like your strong, strong side need is up on your gun. So when okay. you're on a barricade, oh, your yeah. elbows connected to your yep. knee. Yep. Cause I was like, I was all fucked up. Like, <laughs> right right shoulder down left knee up and my my reticles just, just moving bouncing all everywhere over the place. yeah yeah just circling the target dude it's wait like, till hey. you get a tripod that that's yeah. a game changer because yep. like that what tripod you can use for anything from standing position all the way down to kneeling all the way down to prone so if you get good at the tripod game i mean it doesn't quite yeah. get rid of the need for a bag but it certainly uh helps out a lot helps out a lot what kind of tripod do you use do you have like one of those qd systems on the rail or something like that um no yeah i yeah i guess i do so i i have the arca rail on mine which is okay. the, it's just the du- the dovetail system 
Um, but it's interesting because like you can get like a super cheap, you know, hundred dollar tripod. Yeah. So that's, that's what I have. I have a bog death grip tripod. Yeah. There's like 120 bucks and I use it for hog hunting. Yep. So that's, and it works, but it's just, it's not very fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing. Cause yeah. like I ran for the longest time I had, um, is a hog saddle tripod, which is great, okay. right? It's great to get going. They're meant for war. They're designed to like get the shit kicked out mm-hmm. of them. Um, they're not super heavy, which is convenient, but they're also not like ultra stable necessarily. Like versus sure. if you get, you know, maybe like a two vets, 40 Mike, Mike, like they have yeah. like super big, um legs and stuff and they're super yep. adjustable and what and the, the counterweight too my buddy yeah. eric he's got one that's like it's all carbon fiber it's, it's i mean it's like you could hold the gun you could shoulder the gun with the tripod on and not know that it was there yep it's yep. it's ridiculously light but then he's got a uh it's like a clip on the bottom that you hang out a heavy bag yes. from yep and i was like dude this is game changing yeah yeah and it's interesting because like for me in the prs matches that i've shot i think i've only ever shot one stage in one match that has ever been off the top of the tripod because everything else you're shooting it off of a barricade and using the tripod as rear rear support for the most part got it but like if i were to do it all over again and only buy one tripod um i definitely would have bit the bullet in the beginning and got one of the two vets tripods for sure um like a recon or I think it was either the recon, the no name or the 40 Mike Mike. I can't, I don't remember the differences between them. Um, But one of those, because I like, I like that they've got the, um, the twist locks instead Mm -hmm. of like the clamps. Um, I like that. And I also like how big the, the legs are because then you kind of know when you grab it, you've got a good stable position up on it. And it's also, yeah, with that, the bog, I feel I, when I was trying to zero rifles on the tripod, I was noticing just minute movements, but when you're trying to be precise, yeah, like shoot even same hole at a hundred yards. I had my 11.5 on there with a six power scope, and uh, I was just shooting a uh, 55 grain PMC factory 223 ammo, yeah, or 5.56, whatever. And I got like just over MOA, but I know that a lot of it was just me on my trigger press and on my gun, where like yep. if I was in a ransom rest, probably be sub MOA. It's just me behind the gun yeah (laughs) not being able to do it it's funny too because like i feel like a lot of people so you can measure you can measure consistency based off of a group size for sure um Mm -hmm. but when you start like i guess competing i mean obviously consistency in group size is great you want to have a good group but you also want to have consistent velocity out of it because then um when you have consistent muzzle velocity or consistent velocity out at distance um or consistent groups out at distance, that's when you know that the bullet is actually performing, right? Yeah. Because if you have like, and this is how I look at it, right? And I'm sure, you know, everybody's, they're like assholes. Everybody's got an opinion on how this, how this all works, right? Um, But if you have consistent reloads and consistent velocities, then you know, hey, okay, great. When I dial out at 862 yards, that I know that every single bullet's going to be performing at, you know, 10.21 mils. And that's going to be how, you know, how I'm supposed to shoot every single time. So. Sure. And that's, yeah, there's a whole different game of reloading compared to like me doing my nine mil, just yeah. busting it out. I can do 1100 rounds on my, my new Dylan press in an hour. See, and it yeah, would take I, me, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, because I know some guys on there, I'm like, they're using a single stage press. They're yep. weighing out the powder every single time. Every time. I don't know if it's like, a, it's not every shooter that I've seen do this, but like they're placing their bullet like a certain way in their cartridge when yep. like the net comes down. So it's perfect. And I've even heard of um, my good friend, Dylan, his dad was a long range shooter about guys taking the same piece of brass during the match and reloading that same piece of brass. No way at the stage, but he's like, I mean, he's, he's older now. And this is like old school thousand yard guns and stuff like that. Oh where... yeah. See, that makes sense. Right. So they're bench rest right. shooters. They get, they get nuts because they'll, so bench rest is a whole other ball game than PRS. So I've never done bench rest, but bench rest guys, they'll measure, they'll met everything they will make sure yeah. everything is exactly the same every single but time he's got he's got five inch groups at a thousand yeah you yeah know? but that's exactly like... the game man. <laughs> yeah it's crazy I, when i reload so there's there's a couple different ways that i've reloaded one you know when i shot the most and shot the best i would reload with um a charge master light which is literally okay. it's just an auto auto trickler right so literally punch in 39.5 let it do its thing make sure you know double check it pour it whatever run with it and now like i'll sit there with like needle nose pliers or like tweezers and i did this with the press or with the auto trickler but like i'll seriously like pull out individual grains measure it drop in a couple more measure it right pour it in measure everything measure like case wall or neck thickness um overall overall length double check your um the powder throw um i know some guys will only get powder and only reload from the same lot for both powder and bullets so when they buy mm. when they buy bullets they'll buy for a whole year so they'll buy like ten thousand bullets yeah. they'll buy like 20 or 50 pounds of powder all from the same lot so yep. dude if i could find 50 pounds of powder right now i would buy it yeah well it cost you fifty thousand dollars <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah. i don't know but it's, that's the thing is like you take that time and the precautions because if you spend all that time and money going to a match just for you to throw your shots because your loads were off you know what's the point of doing it all yeah and exactly. that's that i i experienced that at nationals last year where i had i had 22 light strikes throughout the match yeah and that was because i didn't um i bought a used reloading press okay didn't didn't i mean like i knew what i was doing but like i didn't know the particulars yeah and the prime the primer depth was not seated it was not uh, too far in calibrated correctly so it wasn't pushing the primer all the way in the pocket so my striker was pushing the primer into the nice pocket and not igniting it and i thought there was something wrong with the m&ps and i was like like I'm gonna throw out all my Smith, da, 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 just get mad, <laughs> and then I started going through my rounds. Um, and luckily, Dylan Precision is right here in Phoenix. Um, there's some great, knowledgeable guys there too, like Holden, Gary, um, some other guys, and they they're like, "Oh yeah, you can just send your press in for like 85 bucks, and we'll go through and refurb the whole thing." Really? And it's just an awesome program. Like for me, being local is even better because I just drove it up there. Yeah. Didn't even have to mail it or anything, but it's 85 or 65 bucks, something like that. Under a hundred bucks. I know that. Um, but they replaced, I don't know, 30, 40 some odd parts on the press. <laughs> and I mean, like I got a whole new press back and I was like, this is great. Absolutely. And my ammo has been 100% since that's sweet. other than the occasional, like upside down primer, but that's just user error on my yeah. part. Yeah. Um, 
but when you lose a match because you're ammo, that's some of the worst feeling because you know your potential is a lot higher and you know that like your, your reputation is something in the sport, right? Like, especially yeah. if you're around the same circles of people and everything like that. And someone just looked at the score, they'd be like, wow, that dude sucked. But in my yeah. mind, I was like, I did pretty good for having that many malfunctions. And my belt came off twice too. It separated from the Velcro <laughs> during reloads and like just rookie stuff, dude. And I was, I was like, that is, nationals is not the stage to do that at. Yeah. I have um, one match that I did absolutely terrible uh my buddy and i drove all the way up to montana uh like north northern montana and uh i don't i don't know what it was um i don't know if i just didn't shoot i didn't pra- or no you know i had tried practicing but at that time mm-hmm. i kind of hit like the point where it was like i'm i need a break I'm, I'm like losing it i'm not like i don't have as much interest and that was the worst i think i'd ever shot it was like the trickiest match I think I'd ever shot more hiking than normal, which like sounds like first world problems, but the wind, like I think the, one of the stages was out to a mile and you're shooting like into how many yards is that? 1,760. And it, it, I, there was just so many things that like, I just sucked. And I, you know, by the time I got home, I was like, fuck this. I'm fucking over it. I shot like shit. This wasn't fun. This is, you know, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, that was not a fun experience. Yeah. But you gotta, you gotta have those matches to appreciate the good ones too. And, yeah. uh, cause I had, uh, this year I shot the, I had a shoulder and trap injury earlier this year, uh, where I couldn't really grip my gun with my support hand that well. So I didn't shoot yeah. for five weeks or so and shot northern arizona i lost that match by two hundredths of a percent uh to a very talented <laughs> shooter travis mccamish um and three days after that one shot the golden bullet championship but my shoulder was just killing me like i couldn't turn my neck left yeah. it was like this whole trap muscle going yeah, up into right. my neck and everything yeah and i was like whatever we'll try to shoot the match and i had a terrible first day yeah. just terrible and i was sitting I was sitting like fourth or fifth, and I was like, "Listen, I need to get ninety-four to ninety-six percent on every stage, and I'll I could maybe take the win, but definitely place top three. Yeah. And the first stage, I shot three misses, got like sixty percent or something like that. You're like, that's it, that's it, and I like, I'm not gonna leave the match, you know. But after that, like, my focus was gone, my care was gone, and then I ended up throwing, I think four more four more misses or five more my five more uh, misses over the next five stages that day so i ended the match with like 14 misses or something like that and like 40 deltas and like for people who don't know that's a lot like i i shot a match this past week and i didn't have any deltas i didn't have any mics i didn't have any procedurals there's only alphas and charlies which like (laughs) what this is ideal situation but um I wasn't ready to shoot that match and I was shooting for results and not for that's that stage or not to have fun. Even I was like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to win. That's all mm-hmm. I care about. I'm going to win this match. Well, couldn't do that with a bum shoulder and I needed to realize that. And I honestly, I probably shouldn't have shot the match. Um, but I was like, that pride pills a hard one to swallow where I was like, I can push through it. I can persevere. I'm better than this. I can tell my body what to do. Mind over matter, whatever. 
but there's some things you just can't. And um, I took, I spent some time in Moab overlanding right after that match. Um, I went, I went up to Fieldcraft HQ. Uh, Tim Kennedy was there that weekend, and then me and my buddy Chase split to uh, Moab, and uh, we did some crazy stuff there. And uh, we can talk about that in a second if we want, but it's, you got to know know what you're looking for in that match. And if you're having a bad match, not to, not to let it just tank you down because that's exactly what I did during that match. And I let it get to me. And, uh, you know, I think I still finished, I don't know, I think 11th place or something like that. But when you're going for the overall win for your division and you, and you're not even in the top 10, it, you know, it's a little disheartening. <laughs> yeah. You too, for sure. But, um, that's good stuff. Good stuff, but now I'm building up this truck so I can drive it to major matches and sleep out there. <laughs> yeah, and you so, said uh, I'm gonna pull it up because you said you just uh, built um, a bed. Is that what you said? Yeah, I, Bill might be over descriptive. I put a bed together because <laughs> I mean it's honestly just like some some different layers of foam cut out and things like that with a sheet. Yeah, and it's uh. But I just want something temporary for the time being. I'm going to be building out a more serious system and more permanent system in there. But um, I just got that topper installed last week. Nice. And I was like, fuck it. We're going to we're gonna figure this out for this trip right. a, a week later. And so we're kind of throwing it together. But that's part of the fun of mobility and overlanding is just the experimenting and like trial and error process of it all. Yeah. So. And you spend a lot of time overlanding. Um, I've just been getting into it this year. So it's something that's like been in the back of my head. Um, and like I've wanted to do, and I've always liked off-roading and I've had like dual sport motorcycles and things like that. Yeah. But not like a, not, not a vehicle with four wheels and a place where I could camp. Right. And then one of my best friends here in Tucson is, uh, my buddy Chase, his IG is at chase dot in dot point. You guys should all go follow him. <laughs> Shameless plug. Shout out Chase. Um, <laughs> He's got probably one of the most capable GX or Lexus GXs in the United States. Okay. Um, That's a fancy rig. Super fancy, dude. Like (laughs) leather and everything, but he absolutely abuses it. Um, And he might get after me for saying that it's the most capable, but I think it's the most capable. We did the trifecta in Moab, which is Poison Spider, the Golden Rim, and the Golden Crack. Okay. And we only had to break out his wench twice. So I have no idea what any of those are. Okay. Um, in short, they are some of the most gnarly rock crawling trails in the country, okay. in the world, probably. People <laughs> travel all over the place just to come to do the trifecta and some of these other notable, um, notable trails. And there's like guys out there with like 44 inch solid axle swap Jeeps and, and uh, full blown rock crawlers with cages. And like, here's us in a Lexus with a rooftop tent <laughs> and like 35 and over tires. <laughs> yeah, just bomb it over. Not even bombers, crawling over stuff. And like, we absolutely used his skid plates and his bumpers <laughs> and like every single little piece of it. And uh, we started the trifecta at like 1 p.m. in the afternoon, which was a mistake. Most people start at like oh, 6 a.m. Yeah, because it's too hot so hot and it takes a while so okay we did part of the golden rim in complete 
darkness. There was very little moon <laughs> and the sun was set. Luckily, he's his whole rig's decked out with Baja lights, sure. Baja Designs lights. And so we've got all of the lumens and we're just <laughs> we're going through some of the trails and like we took we took footage. We, we filmed a lot of it and uh, we were reviewing the footage and like our jaws were on the floor with how gnarly of obstacles we were just breezing over at night because we're tired, <laughs> we're dehydrated. And frankly, we just don't care. We don't give a fuck at this point. We're like, we just need to find an area to camp. Like, yeah. And like, if we stop, nothing's going to happen. We're not just going to magically be in a camp campsite. Yeah. So like, we just have to keep pushing through it. And so we got like pretty sandy on some stuff. And uh, I mean, just like there's, there's some clips of him coming down off ledges and his rear bumper just slamming down on these rocks <laughs> and his rear wheel completely yeah. suspended off the ground. So the truck <laughs> is elevated from the rear bumper and the front tires on the ground. Um, and then we got, we got stuck the second day and there's this great group of people from Missouri. It's like a bunch of good old boys, you know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, super nice. And this dude's got this rock crawler running on propane. On like 44 inch tires and we're like dead center in this in this uh in the trail i'm driving he's got a little um uh oh i can't even think of the name of it measures degrees in oh, the vehicle uh, the inclometer inclometer and so he's like if it gets to 37 that's when the truck tips i'm like sick and, <laughs> 36 and a half cool. I, and i'm like it's not my truck either and also to note this is my first overlanding trip ever. <laughs> and so straight to the top straight to the top i'm like dude chase kind of an asshole you're setting the bar pretty high for me here <laughs> and uh but so we're at like 34 degrees and and <laughs> i have maybe the width of the roof to the wheels before it drops off to about a 300 foot cliff nice so i'm like great <laughs> i'm leaning towards the way of the the cliff where i fall to my death yeah and we're just stressed out because if we go forward it's gonna tip more and that's the only direction we have right and to our right is like this massive it's like a half pipe of rocks you know just like half a bowl of like these crazy boulders Dudes from Missouri come by like, oh, yeah, I'll just snake right around you here. And we're like, there's not enough room. I was like, oh, no, I'm going right. Hold on. And just like flips his engine and back over. on and just, dude, just <laughs> climbs over these rocks like he's a mountain goat, dude. And we're like, are you kidding me? And we, uh, we hooked up the, the winch, got out of there real quick. And uh, we ended up riding with them the whole rest of that day. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had some beers with them and stuff. And they invited us back to uh, – Back to their camp. The one guy was out there in like a probably early nineties TJ Jeep Wrangler on thirty threes with a winch. That's it. <laughs> nothing else. Yeah. I mean nothing else. Manual, and he's just bouncing over everything, just not giving a fuck. Just yeah. and he's keeping up with everybody. And these guys are in full blown <laughs> rock crawlers, chasing his decked out Lexus, and he's just cruising along. I ended up hopping in with in one of their vehicles because I was like, like I said before, I just love to talk. So I'm yeah. just like, let me talk to new people. Yeah swap some stories and stuff and dude ended up blowing his uh i think it was his control arm on his jeep and like you know overlanding like i said you got to think on your feet you got to be intuitive and you got to be ready for anything and we ended up ratchet strapping uh his axle and maybe sway bar or something i, I yeah. don't remember specifically i was just fulfilling the role of sun by holding the flashlight yep. saying no hold yep. the light over here yep <clears throat> um but the we ratchet strapped it 
all back together and we drove like another nine miles with the suspension ratchet strapped together back to camp. <laughs> I'm like, I absolutely love this. And they're like, oh yeah, we, uh, we brought a couple semis out. And we're just like, oh, for sure. Not thinking anything of it. We pull up to their camp. These guys legitimately brought two semi trucks. No, they didn't. For reals? Two semi trucks, big, <laughs> big 50 some foot trailers. One of them's, one of them's a cab over matte black uh rig and i'm like that thing is so <laughs> sick dude like convoy convoy is one of my favorite movies as a little kid growing up with all the big trucks if you remember that and uh it's crazy but um they had uh they had it down when we were there because they're leaving but they have a, a net that goes over both the trailers to shade out the entire camp nice. and then the rock crawlers go in there and we're like oh man they must be like crazy nice on the inside no, nope, yeah. dude, it looked like something me and my friend would throw together. They had mattresses <laughs> on the floor of the trailer. You know, those like 300 liter uh, uh, water bins that you like collect uh, water. It's yes. like yep. industrial water storage. It's yep. got like a metal grid. Dude, they cut the top out of one, cut the front <laughs> off of another, hung a shower curtain, and they had a shower nice. inside of the truck. That's how you do it. Yeah. All homemade stuff, dude. And I was like, this is how we camp. This is how we overland right here. I love this. Um, but those guys truck all the way from Missouri out to Moab just to go That's hit nuts. just just to hit the trifecta. Yeah. And at the time, like I barely knew about any of this stuff. Chase was yeah. like letting me know, like on the trail. And uh, this is where we die. This is this yeah. is where you fall off. And so I got a I got a GMC Sierra, and it's a Denali, which is not the choice vehicle for overlanding, but it is the exact reason why I'm building it out for overlanding because <laughs> you don't see Denali pickup trucks out there. And um, there's a company called Easy Topper Lift, and yeah. it puts four hydraulic lifts on each corner of your bed and so it attaches it to your bed topper. Yeah. So I got a pop-up camper, but That's the coolest sweet. part in my opinion is that it's like incognito. So yeah. you don't know that it's necessarily a big overland truck or um, that it pops out to a camp, uh, um, pop out camper or something like that. And I'm, I'm not necessarily looking to do the trifecta or the golden rim, or we went on one called metal masher okay. and I got that name because of how many vehicles it destroys. Yeah. Um, but I want to be able to like take my truck to some of these major matches and just set up camp at the range. Yep. So I can show up to the first stage with a mug of coffee. Be like, oh, hey, <laughs> nice see you guys join us here. Just woke up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like breakfast burrito in hand, whatever. But it's, uh, it's a cool space to be in and overlaps with hunting and shooting and stuff like that. So it's, yeah. um, it's a cool venue to explore. And um, Chase and I have terabytes worth of video that we're going through and editing right now and once we get a handful of videos made we'll be starting to release them nice um, share them with everybody and so there's a lot from moab um, and a handful of other trips too and just getting out there and exploring the country is i mean it's priceless i think that's truly what this country is here for is like experience that freedom for yourself where you're out there, you're relying on yourself and you're just, you're in the thick of it all. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, I'm definitely going to be doing more of that in the coming future and, yeah. uh, just get, getting out and really experiencing what this country has to offer. I need to, uh, well, I've never really done the overlanding stuff necessarily. Mm -hmm. Not, not like that, but you know, I've got my camper on the back of my truck that I kind of just take wherever <laughs> which is convenient, sure. but my truck, I don't know. I'm, I'm nervous to take my truck places that 
are maybe a little dodgy because I've been stuck once or twice. And for sure, there, there was one time that I got stuck. So I was out, I don't even remember. It was probably October, something like that. And uh, I went out and this is before I had built my camper and I was going to go out kind of just scout and having some fun. And I get up and on my way up, I was listening to like a, I love scary, scary books and movies. So I was listening to like a horror book. Right. And which is not a good idea. And uh, the road that I was headed up on, like it was not the same, but similar where I had like six inches, but before there was like a huge drop off and I was like mm-hmm. on my way up. Right. So I get up and I'm like, Oh, I shouldn't have fucking done this, but you know what? I'm up here through <laughs> <laughs> caution of the wind. And like, I didn't have like a GPS phone or satellite or anything. It was just me. And I think I had like a little Garmin GPS thing, but it, there was no texting or anything. It wasn't like a spot. So I get up and sure. I set up camp and everything. And like, or I get up to the top of this one spot and I had just enough service to like text my wife. Be like, Oh man, it's really pretty. Yada, yada, yada. And I continue on and uh, I set up camp and it's like raining and everything. And I'm like, well, this sucks. So then like I end up setting my tent up and, whatever go to sleep or i tried to go to sleep and like you know i've been listening to this book it's raining i'm hearing everything you know like freaking out and mm-hmm. uh, i wake up the next morning and i'm like cool like i'm gonna get up and get moving it stopped raining and you know i'm gonna hang out for a little while and uh i check i'm like before i start hiking around i'm gonna make sure my truck starts just just because and no shit my truck did not start like i could not get it to turn over nothing mm. and so i was like well I'm in trouble. <laughs> so I spent, yeah. like, I spent some time by myself, like trying to figure out, like checking to see if I had blown a fuse or anything or whatever, you know, cause you mm-hmm. know, sometimes but like, the, the truck had power though. Right. So like well, batteries I, turning up. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it wouldn't like, I couldn't get it to turn over. It wouldn't make like the clicking noise, like for this. And I don't nothing about cars. Right. Sure. So I'm like, yeah. I'm, I, I'm in the same boat. I'm learning as I go. Yeah. And, and so I, I know what I need to, to fix stuff that I fixed in the past so far, but maybe yeah, not new things. Yeah. And so I'm like sitting there reading the owner's manual, like playing with fuses, like trying to see if I blew one or anything. And I like swap one from that. Like, Hey, this one's not being used. It's like a spare that's in a slot. So yeah. I'm like trying to figure everything out. Nothing works. Right. So mm-hmm. finally, like I had, if I wandered around enough, I could get service. And so I ended up getting a little like, uh, insurance and they're like you're way the hell out there like no and i'm like what do you mean no like of course i'm out here like technically yeah. it's a service like a forest what, service, what kind know? of truck is it it's a ford it's an f-150 for sure and so finally ended up getting a hold of one guy in town who was like i can't bring my wrecker up there so i'm gonna bring my razor up there i'll help you out and he's like it's not it's not gonna be cheap because it's technically a recovery um, but I'll see what we can do. So he ends up coming up, spends like an hour or two with me trying to like troubleshoot the truck and we can't get anything. We're like trying to bypass the starter and the, or the mm-hmm. solenoid, all of it. And, uh, finally we go back down, bring his Jeep back up and had to coast all the way down the mountain <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, end up getting back. It was like an $1,800 charge just Oof. to get the truck down. And I get it back to the dealership and like two days later, a day later, they're like, yeah, you're missing a fuse. And I was like, okay, if I was missing a fuse, how could my, why, how could I have gotten up there to begin with? Right. Yeah. And so I was like super confused, but I was like, yeah, that mountain has bad juju. I like, I will not be going back up there. So my buddies last year, we were out hunting and they're like, yeah, we're going to go check this one mountain. I was like, I'm fucking going home. I'm not going back up there. 
So, so yeah, I've learned, learned a little bit, learned to be a little bit more prepared. I've got my little, sure. uh, my, my GPS texter thing now. So it's easier to get a hold of people when, uh, things just in case, man, bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just in case. Yeah. Gas recovery gear. Yeah. Jumper, like a self jumper. I still need to get Some one of those. Like That's that. on my hit list. Dude, set up Amazon. There's like uh they're like uh, 70... mobility. Yeah, they just put some lithium noco nico something battery jumper thing. I don't know what it is. Mine's off Amazon, but yeah, I spent around 60, 70 bucks on it. And yeah. you like it's got a flashlight, it's got USB ports, yep, and just like a big brick, and it fits. Um, I have like these little compartments on my back seats. Like okay. in the seat, there's like a little compartment. Nice. And you know, didn't plan it, but it fits perfectly just in that little <laughs> section. And I was like, this is made for this. This is yeah. its home. And I um, love when that works out when it just got, accidentally fits perfect. Right. I've got my solar panel. So I've got a solar panel and then the old truck battery because I ended up replacing the truck battery, take the yep. old one and brought it. So like that's kind of my is that in the bed. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I'll, I'll send you some pictures after. Yeah, I'd love to check it out. Um, Because that's kind of like my de facto, like, okay, if I need to jump it, I'll just, you know, unscrew that and swap the batteries out. But yeah, I I like it. I enjoy pushing my truck. I actually just got new yeah. brakes on it because uh, it was making some noises and the mechanic was like, um, you have no front brakes and... <laughs> Uh, your rotors, it's now metal on metal and I can't turn them. So it's, it's, we're going to have this for a couple days. <laughs> I'm like, yep. yeah, it's about time. <laughs> Did you build that camper? So you had a more uh, comfortable time hunting and things like that, or a little bit more convenient, more convenient. So last year yeah. was the first time I'd ever gone hunting. Um, and okay. so I, I built it more for convenience um, for me. And cause I was spending a lot of time outside doing stuff you know, traveling, camping, hiking, starting to get into hunting. And I wanted something sure. that I could get into the, into the hills that I didn't have to tow, didn't have to register, maintain, or store. And so for me, this was super convenient to build it on the back. And my wife's not a big like tent camper. And so now with this, it's not like climate controlled, but when we camp in the winter, I mean, it's, it's comfortable. You can you can keep the heat yeah. in, yeah, a lot better than a tent. Yeah, so I like I I did it just for convenience and also with COVID. I mean, I like I was telling you, I've been working at home pretty much since mm -hmm. March of last, so I needed something to do, and so I for ended sure. up building it, fiberglassing it, wiring it. I mean, the whole the whole kit and caboodle, and uh, it took it. I mean, it's still. I mean, it'll never be done if we're being honest, but um yeah i love it it's fun do you ever do podcast episodes of just yourself where you're not have, interviewing people i have so i started uh, i was gonna say because you should do stuff like highlighting that build of the camper and some of the hunting experiences and things like that if you haven't already yeah actually I, i'm starting to so um there's a every normally every friday i'll do my madman episode which is kind of like a summary of stuff that I've learned kind of talking with people, other shit that's going on, kind of just like relating myself to people more. And uh, the past couple of weeks, uh, a lot of, a lot of the people that I talked to kind of like I was telling you earlier, like on Wednesday, Kaz's episodes about suicide and mental health. So we talk um, like Erica and I, my wife and I have been talking about kind of our relationship and 
Um, like I've got obsessive compulsive disorder. And so talking about what that's looked like for me and kind of like, Hey, you know, this is the shit that I did, the weird stuff that I've done and kind of how I've talked or kind of making it, you know, a conversation piece. So I think after we're done with that series, uh, cause that's a three part thing that we're working on. We still need to record the third episode. I'll probably, mm-hmm. she was telling me that I needed to talk about my camper shell too and whatnot. So, yeah, people find that stuff interesting. I got a handful of messages back on, um, I don't mind just posting my story. So I'll, I'll probably make something once a little bit more built out, but um, yeah, I just, once people get in tune to your voice, man, people, people will want to hear more of it. Yeah. And then I also did one of those stupid little reel things. Dude, reels are, reels are very important. Yeah, well, it's so funny. Cause like I was kind of just being a smart ass and mm-hmm. this one, I don't know if you can see that it's got almost yeah. 80,000 views. Yeah. Like well, I've dude, never... you're fi- you're following the trends of the TikToks I on know. the IG, and you'll get rewarded <laughs> for it. I know. My well, it's funny because I screenshot that and I sent it to my dad, and I was like, "Dude, check this out." And he's like, <laughs> "He's like, why?" And I'm like, "I don't, <laughs> I don't know." I was like, "I honestly think that I just like unlocked a secret as far as." Yeah. <laughs> I think you're. I think your three step could use some improvements too. Just coming yeah. from a dance yeah. analytical standpoint, but we'll let it slide because okay, done. I appreciate that. Yeah, I I know. I was like. I, it was funny because like the first one doesn't sync up, then the second one sort, and then the third one like nails it. So, mm-hmm. but it's um so my like I, my background is in marketing. I have an MBA in marketing, and I um I was field crash marketing director for a portion of last year, um, and then when they moved to Utah, I decided to stay in Tucson and just yeah. kind of take a step down, just be part of that team. But I helped them a lot with social media, um, on their page and things like that, and. If, if everybody wants a secret IG tip, it's to use all the features of Instagram. So IG lives, IGTV, reels, videos, posts, story posts, um, all the interacting buttons within that story. And Instagram will reward you for that. So the more, the more of their in-app applications that you use, uh, the more they'll push your content forward. And I've been having a lot of fun with the reels lately. I, I'm really enjoying those over normal posts because you can <laughs> add some level of comedy to it and stuff too. And yeah, I don't know. I like to, I like to put a smile on people's faces. I like to make them laugh. And so if I can do that from thousands of miles away to thousands, <laughs> thousands of people at a time, then sign me up. You You're know? feeling good. Yeah. You know, that's it. Same with, uh, same with my buddy was like, getting groceries or something the other day and i like yelled something over the phone that might have been inappropriate <laughs> but i was like i know that we'll be friends for life when i can embarrass you from 2400 miles away <laughs> some random lady in the grocery store <laughs> and uh well, Hunter, once again, man, I appreciate you hopping on and chatting with me. I feel fortunate to have been able to connect with you, uh, sharing some of the training experience that we've had as far as uh, getting addicted to snapping in and dry firing and uh, doing all that fun stuff. Um, I did take some advice uh, since uh, since we t- since we have spoken. Man, I can't talk today. Since we have spoken, and uh, I did uh, get some cool videos put together for my redneck Ritz. So uh, I hope that you all enjoy taking a look at that. I look forward to reaching out to a couple other people that Hunter did 100 and I did talk about as far as overlanding because that is something that 
super interesting to me. Um, I've never really done anything overlanding like I've taken my truck in some places that are, um, you know, some people probably wouldn't take their truck and I probably wouldn't do it again, which might be another story. Um, but beyond that, I hope you all uh, learned something, took some good information away, found some inspiration as far as getting into these shooting sports and finding some good instruction. But beyond that, I hope you all have a great day and we'll catch you next time. We'll <laughs>